What is the most important part of an apartment syndication deal? It isn't the acquisition stage or on the back end of the deal. It's asset management. Today's guest has hands-on experience with asset management on a deal he started out as a passive investor on, and his name is Kay Trevor Thompson. How did the Guinness World Record at working there and the Haunted House experience help you as a real estate investor? Yeah, you know, so it taught me entrepreneurial. We were very entrepreneurial in our business. And anytime that you have what I call a customer-focused business, you start to think about that. And a lot of people don't think of this business as customer-focused, but it really is, right? The residents are our customers. And, you know, how you treat people, how you give them value for the money that you take from them, that's how you improve the quality of an apartment complex. So, Oddly enough, I think my skills translate very well into operating apartment complexes. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I remember hearing about your experience working at the uh, Guinness World Record. Uh, I don't know if that was like the office, uh, but you also worked there and you also started that haunted house. And even though it maybe didn't go as planned, it sounded like you just learned a lot and, um, yeah. and really applied that to your real estate investing career, which is really awesome. Um so I know also you've had a really exciting experience in real estate. Some of the uh, things deals haven't really necessarily gone the way you might have wanted to, but it sounds like you learned a lot from them. And those are honestly, we've had our biggest seminars, which is uh, what Rod Cleef calls them, uh, have been things that didn't turn out the way we wanted them to. So uh, I know that was that first deal that I believe you were going to be a GP on, but it ended up not going the way you wanted it to. But it was honestly, I think it was uh, the loan assumption. If you don't mind chatting about that, um, it was just yeah, a fascinating yeah. topic. Yeah, so definitely. So I joined somebody else's deal, which was a good thing. They didn't have anybody in Texas. And for those of you thinking of investing, it's always important to have somebody in the marketplace that understands it, can visit the property as needed. So I joined their team. And so it was we were going to do a loan assumption. Then we had a third party pref equity in the middle. And then we had investor capital. And we it was a loan assumption, a Fannie Freddie Mac loan. And we could never, even after rewording our PREF equity agreement three times to what we were told would get it approved, we never did get it approved. And it was it was devastating. Six months of time, um, unfortunately, $350,000 of total money lost between hard money and hard costs and all of those different things. So um, it's it was a very uh, eye-opening first experience as being a GP, yeah. I'm going to tell you. Um, since then, luckily, I've had some successes and a lot of my passive investments have uh, given me some good cash flow that have helped uh, keep me going. That's awesome. What were some uh, biggest takeaways from that experience? So like maybe someone in our audience who doesn't want to necessarily like go through the same thing, but what can they take away from that experience? Yeah. So the biggest takeaway is being in a position where the final decision maker had really in theory, which was Fannie Mae nothing to gain by approving us. Um, the loan was being paid. They were getting their money no matter what. And so we basically lost all bargaining power, right? It's not like, you know, they had a loan, it was secured, and they didn't like the way we were securing it with a second lien position behind us. Um, part of that was because those second lien position people could take control of the property if we didn't perform at a certain level. Um, which is something you give up when you bring in a third party prep equity. You know, they want to protect their money, of course. And so it was just a huge lesson not to lose control of a deal and, yeah. and, and be at the mercy 
Um, and also, you know, loan assumptions are very challenging because first of all, lenders were never set up really to do loan assumptions. They're set up to do new loans and yes, they happen, but they really don't make the same money. They're basically just somebody else now is guaranteeing to pay them what, you know, the other person was already guaranteed to pay them. So there's no big win for the lender. Um, and that puts you in a tough position. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I know that you're big on uh, taking control if you need to. In the past, I believe um, you were involved on, on the LP side and you yeah. ended up getting involved on the asset management side. And that's like a first. I've never heard of that. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. So that was really like caught, caught my attention for sure. Um, but I would love it if you could maybe dive into that experience just to kind of explain. Uh, well, obviously, I think that is honestly like like shows your track record in terms of the asset management because you've actually done it. So, and I do want to dive into asset management on the later half of this episode. So can you maybe explain what happened then and how you ended up in that position? Yeah, it was an interesting position. So it was actually one of my first investments. It was with the mentoring program, a small one. I'm not going to mention who because it was went bad um, in here. But what it said was I said, well, I'm not learning anything. Is there some way I can help? You know, I've got a real good skill set. I live, you know, hour and a half away from the asset. And so they said, okay, yeah, you could help us out by we have an overstretched paid asset manager, you know, who's managing seven assets spread over, you know, Texas is a huge state. A lot of people don't know. It takes 24 hours to drive across Texas. Um, and so this guy was stretched out. So you're just going to help him. Um, and then of course, me being overly due diligent things that I found turned out that he wasn't doing a good job asset managing. So they decided to part ways with him. So no, no longer was I helping an asset manager. I was the asset manager for, for the main general partner. Don't get me wrong. They still helped and did some work. And then they decided it was the property management company's fault. So we would fire them and self-manage. So here I am, a volunteer, limited partner. Um, and, you know, it was going really well. And then the pandemic came. And, you know, this was a deep value add property. And, you know, so our tenants were the servers at Applebee's and, you know, all those other, you know, they lost their jobs. Mm. And even though there was rent relief and some other things, it was real challenge to, uh, to you know, to, to keep that property afloat. And then we, we got it pretty close to stabilization. They wanted to do some things that I didn't agree with, um, which is basically fill it up with anybody so that the occupancy looked good to resell it. And so I refused to do it. So that was the end of me being volunteer asset manager. They did it. The sale fell through. And guess what? You got stuck with all those bad tenants. And, you know, so then they sort of repeated the cycle. You know, they'd let in different people that did, couldn't afford the rents. And um, then it took almost another year for the property actually to sell. Um, took a long time to close because it was very unstabilized. And at the end of that, we all got our money back, but nobody made any money. Um, now, on the hindsight, I also lost my job during COVID and this all of a sudden gave me real estate professional status. So yes. I collected severance, but there was no time for severance so I could become a professional real estate. So in the end, yes, I got paid because I wouldn't have had that status if um, I wasn't doing that particular role. Yeah, but you didn't know that at the time. So that, that, that's I did what, not. Like, and again, I was there to learn. I was yeah, there absolutely. to learn whatever I could. And again, you know, sometimes you just got to jump in the deep end and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, get, get it done. And that's what I did. 
and I, I wouldn't replace it for anything. I learned so much. I'm sure you did. That's such a unique experience. And I mean, asset management is the most important. I believe in the past you've um you've like quoted it as being the often overlooked aspect of the business that people don't really understand. Like you're literally running an operation and it yeah. can impact and, and, more so than other And things. that goes back to running businesses, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think, okay, I, I run an IT department. Well, that's completely different than rest, running a customer facing focused operation with cash flow and moving parts and different things. And mm-hmm. so at least I had that background and experience, but it's very important. I mean, at the end of the day, the real work gets done when the deal gets closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've been fortunate that the market's been super strong. And so a lot of average syndicators have been saved by the market. Um, and I think there'll be some challenges for those that aren't really good at asset managing. Yeah. So I want to dive into that a little bit. First, uh, just starting off, like, what are some common misconceptions people have about asset management and property management um, from like the GP lens? So like people that haven't done it yet, what misunderstandings do they have about it? before? Yeah. They so, it? so it's an interesting paradigm that, that property management companies actually don't make a lot of money and it's a horrible job. I'm sorry, but it's running those apartment complexes is super, super, super hard work, super challenging. Um, there's not a lot of, you know, even though they're charging good money and yes, mm-hmm. there are people successful in making money at it. It's a really hard job. And so what happens when you have a really hard job and it's complicated, you, your business model becomes doing as much as possible without doing too much to get a satisfactory result, right? And so the difference between excellence and satisfactory is mind boggling, right? You know, I set a goal in the, the time I did it that every week we would do one thing better, um, you know, so and we would have focuses. So for a while it was the collection of bad debt. Um, then it turned into getting people signed up for rent relief programs. Then it turned into let's filling back up the apartment. Um, you know, having these little goals. And so as an asset manager, it's kind of like you've got to figure out how to move your property management company into the right direction with the right support. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people start out and then it it becomes adversarial. And at the end of the day, if you and your property management aren't in sync, like you wrote this overly ambitious business plan that they didn't have anything to do with and said, here, you're going to go achieve this. Um, So you want to make sure your property management company believes in your plan and your goals. I love that. That's so funny because like, I feel like that's something some people overlook or they don't really, they assume that the property management would just be able to implement it. That's that's so true. It's like, there's that disconnect there. Um, I'd love to know what are some tips that you had from, from that experience, like for an asset manager right now, especially with what's going on in the economy. But like, I feel like, I don't know if you've said this on the previous podcast or someone else did, but um, in the past, people have been relying on like raising rents to kind of fall as a security blanket. But yeah. if, when, if that's not going to be happening in, in the in the future, in the, in the near future, they're going to really be a test of, of can you operate? So yeah. what, are, what advice do you have? So looking for incremental improvements, right? Things that are going to, you know, mm-hmm. saying, okay, we're going to get five more dollars for a yard or we're going to get five more dollars for a parking space or we're going to get, you know, kind of get those incremental wins, right? Okay, so yeah. right now, you know, only 30 or 40 or let's put it this way, 60 or 70% of the preferred parking spaces are filled. So giving them a goal, because that's, that's, that's 
in theory, gravy money, right? That's on top of all the other things. And yes, we need it to be successful, but focusing on some of those things, um, you know, putting in some efficiencies. So depending on the level of your property, higher level property, putting in some tech that, that makes things so like, for example, our particular property, we had to rekey every lock every time a tenant changed or to do anything. So strangely enough, we got, we had a, a domestic situation within the apartment complex and the gentleman who was evicted from the apartment and had a restraining order came in and stole our key box. Well, I had to rekey 179 apartments because he was looking to see what apartment we moved her to. Um, and it was super stressful. But if those had been like, you know, electronic high-tech keypads, mm -hmm. you know, we could have changed the whole property in a few minutes um, yeah. instead of like two days. Um, just little things like that. And then, you know, if you're on a value-add property looking for, especially in Texas where water is expensive, leak detection devices, um, all of those things, they're going to save you money in the long run, right? Yeah. And don't defer maintenance. Every time you defer it, it costs more to fix it. Um, and then when you defer it, your tenant doesn't care about the place because they don't think you care about the place. And therefore, you're turning apartments around or harder because if you don't care for the property, why should I care as a tenant for the property? Um, so therefore, I'm not going to take as good a care of it. But if you take care of the tenants, take care of the maintenance issues, take care of all of those things, it just creates that environment where they, they, they feel somewhat they want to take care of it, too. Um, and then yeah. I think the most important thing is creating a community. Um, you know, I remember when I first was studying this, I went to um, Gary and Kyle. They did an asset management training thing, and I went to it. And I remember hearing some gurus on there, like Sandri, Sandia Sashardri. You know, she talked about like giving tenants turkeys at Christmas. And my mind was blown yeah. that they were going to give, you know, and they told all the tenants these were coming. They did backpack for the kids to go back to school. And they did, I mean, could you, and backpacks were full of all the things like that the kids would need for school. Mm -hmm. Like they took the time to research what is the list. Um, and just think about it, right? If, if your apartment complex gave your kid a backpack, full of school supplies and you were struggling to make your, you know, cause again, these were mostly C-class properties. Yeah. Um, going back to school is very expensive. Um, just little, little things like that. One of the properties worked out a thing where there was, uh, they were in a community where English was, a, was not the first language for most people. And, you know, they, they did English classes on Saturday morning where they brought somebody into the clubhouse and, you know, mind boggling. Right. And, you know, but just takes a little care to do something like that. I know for ourselves, even during the pandemic, one of my folks volunteered at a food bank. So we actually once a month went and collected food from the food bank and brought it back to the mm -hmm. to the tenants. Um, now we did it on the same day they're supposed to pay rent, right? And they got to go get <laughs> so nice. a little bit of a win-win, right? Come and get some free food if you pay your rent, you know. Um, yeah. but Little things like that make all the difference. And a lot of people don't think of those little things. You know, oh, they just awesome. think, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to sit all the spot, all the big uh, syndicator type guru groups, right? Teach you, you, you know, you buy a real estate property, you hire a property mm -hmm. management company and you sit on the beach drinking pina coladas, looking at your KP reports. 
Um, that's not true. You got to work hard to make some money. Absolutely. And it's so important. I know I read the book Traction by Gino Wickman and he talks about um, just the importance of like tracking things. And I want to dive into that, but that's awesome. I've, I also had a Sandhya on the podcast and she mentioned that they did that. And it's so true. I feel like residents are going to treat, if it feels like a home and they feel like people that are managing it care about them and they'll care about the property more. And so it really is like, it's an investment in the property itself too. One that maybe not have like a, a immediate ROI, but definitely I, I, I call oh, it always it. has one at some exactly. point, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Anytime you can do good and, and, and make money on it, it's, it's like a triple win, right? It's better than win-win even. Exactly. And I think it's too easy for investors to see it as like an asset and not an actual community where people yeah. are living. Um, so that's such a good and refreshing perspective. And I think we'll implement that in our own asset management. So I'm happy you shared that. Um, but to touch on that traction thing, I, I know, so in the book, I don't know if you've heard of it, but like he has a scorecard and he, it's the scenario is if you were on an Island and you had that piece, of, it's like one piece of paper that had a list of numbers that would essentially be like the pulse, the health of your business on that piece of paper, what numbers would you have? Um, and I wanted to apply that to a, a property. And so if you, if it was you, you had that one piece of paper on a, on a deserted Island, what metrics would you have to, that would allow you to assess the health of, of your property if you were like the asset manager at an apartment complex? Yeah, so so things that are important to me are um, speed of uh, doing uh, like maintenance tickets. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like if you can get maintenance tickets done, how long have they been outstanding? How quickly are they cleared? Um, and also some sort of verification way where tenants can like agree that their trouble ticket was cleared, right? Like, um, you know, I remember vividly, like, this is the third time he's been here and it's still not fixed. What's going on? Um, and I remember scratching my head going, wow, why, why isn't it fixed? And, the, you know, it turned out that our local maintenance guy just didn't have the skill set. We had to bring in a third party um, mm -hmm. and they fixed it on the very next visit. Um, but, but those kind of things are things, you know, and then obviously you want to track your, all of your collections and, and, you know, so there's, because most KPIs are only looking backwards, right? So what happened? So now you got to think, okay, what happened? How do I take that and look forward and make something different happen, right? So, you know, our delinquency was this much. How do we get it out of that? Like, how do we find out, like, you know, again, a lot of people on this crazy market where housing is, you know, let's just kick the tenant out, put a new person in. But I think those days are are gone where you're going to have to figure out a way to get that tenant to pay or do something with that tenant to make it to where it happens. But using those numbers to look forward and say, okay, mm -hmm. what can we do coming forward um, and understanding, okay, I've got, you know, I remember again, I was a brand new asset manager. And next thing you know, I had 10 move outs and I wasn't prepared, um, you know, and then we had to go buy all the make ready stuff and make, you know, we almost lost a whole month on those 10 units because I wasn't prepared looking forward. It never happened again, let me tell you, um, yeah. you know, we made sure. And then, oh, we don't have any two bedrooms, but I've got four two bedrooms that just haven't gone to make ready yet. And, you know, just making sure that you have something right. So you know, for me, again, it was always, I want to make sure that we have one of every unit type ready and then another one of that unit type in make ready. Yeah. No, that's, I appreciate you sharing that. And you mentioned delinquency. That's something that I think a lot of people are maybe uh, concerned about whether they're experiencing it now or they're, they're anticipating it becoming worse during the, whatever happens if the economy takes a dip. Um, what advice, or maybe if you were in that position of an asset manager handling a property, like how would you 
handle delinquency? And for anyone that may not be aware of it, like what causes delinquency in general, but also maybe to get worse? Yeah, so delinquency, it happens on various things, right? Like I lost my job, I don't have any, you know. So I think it all starts with not knowing who your tenants are and where they are in their life, right? And how you can how you can adjust for it, right? I mean, I'm a passive investor in a deal and they bought the deal and it turned out 40% of tenants were delinquent. Um, and I'm like, how is that a surprise? Like to this new sponsor and again, you know, um, how is that a surprise to you? And then Austin is not an easy to evict spot. So if there was a, any liberal little bubble in Texas, it's in Austin. And so they were getting, it was challenging to get some of the tenants out. Um, other places it's easy. And of course, other states, it's much harder. You know, so you need that crystal ball. You need to know why, like, you know, why aren't you catching up? And, uh, you know, um, I was on my call today for a property I have now. And we have, uh, you, in Texas, you've got to wait till delinquency is over $500 to start the oh. eviction process. And this guy, other than a certain, he's been like keeping it at $499. He must know the rule. And I didn't even know the rule. And, and now there's a way around it. So we talked about that today. Okay. He needs wow. to get noticed that, you know, this has to be cleaned up. But, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it was just interesting because tenants, they, they know how to get around it. That's, yeah. you know, and, and again, you got to remember some people are just struggling. Um, and, and you want to try to find a way to fix that and still have a good investment. Yeah, that's powerful. I think that's good advice, especially because uh, like right now, when if an asset's struggling, people can, the investors, the general partners can lose sight that it, like you said, like it is still somebody's home. They may not be doing it on purpose. Like they may actually not be able to pay it. So if you can get creative with the strategies to help them make that payment or just um, provide that, 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 whether that's government assistance or things like that. Um, and, and so what, what, I guess, strategies have you seen your general partners that you're invested on passively, besides the one you mentioned, like when they deal with delinquency, what are they doing to actually overcome it and in a timely manner? Well, putting people on payment plans, like, you know, um, some people are like the all or nothing kind of mentality for yeah. paying the rent. And I'm like, no, let, let's, you know, a hundred bucks today is better than 200 bucks, maybe tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. So let's, let's get them on payment plans. Let's get them going. Um, you know, let's try to work it out with them. Um, you know, and again, you can only do those things if you kind of understand where they are. If I've lost yeah. my job and I've got no hope of a job, um, I'm not going to catch up. Right. But okay. I lost my job, but I just got another job and it's going to take me six weeks to get caught up. Okay. Well, let's work on a plan versus let's just throw you out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know a lot of, uh, like you said earlier, and there's two things I want to touch on before our speed round. Uh, it's coming up. So first, I know that you said like when people kind of have this awesome business plan, it's really big, high in the sky, but then it's so disconnected to the actual team on site that will be implementing the business plan. What advice do you have or in your experience, have you seen like that? what uh, strategies work best for the general partner who is the asset manager, but he's overseeing a property management company. Like what can they do to help them succeed? Should they be visiting the property more in person? Should they be getting on weekly calls? Yeah, so you know first of all, making sure that everybody's agreed to the plan, not here's the plan, um, you need to succeed in it. So making sure that you have buy-in from your property manager on the plan. Um, mm -hmm. Secondly, I think help helping them. Where can I help you get these things done? What do you need? Um, you know, how, how can I get there? Um, you know, just making sure that you have reasonable expectations. Um, and then, you know, 
celebrating your successes, right? A lot of people just think that's their job. And again, you know, I'm going to talk about Sandia, but she posted on Facebook the other day, you know, they achieved something at their property and he brought, she brought everybody lunch. Um, you know, I know on my particular property, you know, we achieved a couple of goals and we had some cash incentives to achieve those goals. But, you know, we, I also, you know, it was hard work and different things. And so I took them out to lunch. Um, I did buy my manager a massage, um, you know, and uh, just, you know, just said, hey, I really want to thank you. Um, you know, because what had happened was, is we'd had to work. Normally the office was Monday to Friday and I added a Saturday in because a lot of tenants were you know, we were still not an online payment system at the time. It switched, but, uh, you know, they were struggling to get in during normal business hours to pay and little things. So I just said, okay, we're caught up now. You can next Saturday, we will not have to open the office and want to go have a massage. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. And that's so important too, because there are people too, like you said, and uh, I think yeah. like whether you're not necessarily doing it to be manipulative, but like they'll be more incentivized to work hard for you if they actually feel like you care yeah. about them. It's vice versa. That's awesome. And then obviously visiting the property, visiting it announced and unannounced, but don't make the unannounced like, uh, um, so I remember reading a book. Um, they talked about regional managers that were, they were pigeons. They flew <laughs> into the place. They made a lot of noise and they crapped on everybody and then they flew away. <laughs> um, don't be that. Go in there, you know, ask some clarifying questions, you know, little things like visiting your property at night, visiting your property on a weekend, you know, go by on a Friday night and see what's happening. Make sure the place is well lit. There's not parties and drug deals in the parking lot. And, uh, you know, just yeah. just being aware of your property. Um, it's, you know, this is where people live and you need to know what does it look like Friday night at 10 o'clock? Yeah. And, and earlier you mentioned the how Austin, Texas might not be the most eviction friendly like uh, market to invest in. And I, I've, in the past interviews you've done, I've heard you mention the importance of investing in pro-business markets. Yeah. Um, I would love to know if you can maybe just briefly explain why that's so important and how that can actually have a big impact on the business plan and your ability to implement it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, some places like like let's just say Austin to San Antonio, you can get a 10 and out in San Antonio in about six weeks. Um, in Austin, it's about three months. And so again, if you think of that Delta, right, that's quite a bit of time with no rent collected to, to be able to move that tenant along. Um, and so you wanna be able to, you know, we have to give, basically you give 30 days notice and then, you know, you get a final eviction, you go to court and away you go. But in Texas, in Austin, it's been a little harder. It's getting better, you know, um, but but um, we joke here in Austin that too many Californians moved to Austin. Um, <laughs> <probably> and, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, but again, you know, there are places where, you know, it can take months to get somebody out. Um, and if that person's not paying, um, that's what pays the bills. Yeah. Oh, that's. Thank you. I appreciate you providing that insight because uh, that's why we like uh, we like the southwest, sorry, southeast states like North Carolina and Georgia. Um, but that's definitely a big factor that we we're finding right now during our asset management. We're really grateful that we're in certain markets that are that benefit that. So, uh, it is time for our speed round. Uh, I are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. All right, let's do it. Drum roll. What has been the biggest failure, aka learning lesson that you've encountered along your real estate journey, and what did you take away from that experience? Yeah, I think we talked about it, not 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 being in control of a deal and uh, losing all of our hard money. Okay. 
Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that earlier. That was a, definitely insightful and and hopefully people in the audience will learn from that and be able to uh, grow from that as well. So they don't have to repeat those, 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 those steps. Now, looking forward to the future, but also uh, looking to where you are right now. Where, where would you say your business is at in terms of scale and success? And what are you aiming to accomplish moving forward? Yeah, so I'm looking to rebalance myself out a little bit. So I'm in 16 as an LP and two as a GP. Um, my goal within two years is to be eight and eight. Um, so still the same number of investments, but more of them as, as a GP. And with that note, I always invest as an LP on my deals. I don't count, count that twice. Um, and your listeners need to make sure that the general partners are investing, putting their money in their own deals. Awesome advice. Well, what has been a big major uh, book that has had a big impact on your life, whether that's personal and or business? Yeah, so I would say, so I worked for iFly Indoor Skydiving for 20 years, and we had an owner who didn't mind if you made mistakes at all. You just had to learn from them. I mean, it was amazing. Like some serious stuff happened, and nothing ever happened from it other than like a learning lesson. Now, if you repeated it, boy, you got it. But, uh, you know, just the ability to be able to, to let people learn through, you know, because he used to say, if you don't make any mistakes, you're not pushing yourself enough. Mm-hmm. So that was, and so I've pushed myself a lot. Yeah, that's based awesome. Based on that, that sort of 20 years of my life working with him. Awesome, awesome. Now, in terms of like a book that you has been a big impact on your life or uh, you that you found that has been a big help uh, when it comes to business, uh, has yeah, there been so, anyone? Yeah, definitely. So you got to do it on Audible and I'm going to give you two books. I'm sorry. You got to listen to Grant Cardone's 10X on Audible and then you got to follow it up with Be Obsessed or Be Average. Um, got to do them in those order and you got to do them on Audible. Um, it's just super challenging. I know okay. not everybody loves them, but those are awesome books. 100%. My older brother, Kenneth, loves him, always watching his videos. And he's one of the reasons we actually went um, and got into the larger multifamily side of things instead of like starting small. So yeah. big, that we're big advocates for that. You shared a ton of gold nuggets and wisdom today. It was all very valuable. But if there was just one piece of advice you'd want someone in our audience to walk away with, what would that be? Yeah, so um, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. You know, I before this started, I said, I wish I'd have started at your age, you know. So I didn't start investing in real estate to my 50s. Um, and I missed out, you know, I'd be in a whole different spot right now if I learned the power of passive investing. Um, so don't wait. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Trevor. If anyone in our audience wants to learn more about you, follow you on your journey, or get access to any resources you have, where can they go to find out more? Yeah, so the first place is on my LinkedIn. It's easy. So you have to use the K in front of my name, K. Trevor Thompson. Um, My company is called Niagara Investments, and there is a dash in there. And it's because I'm from Niagara Falls, Canada. Um, And I also have a YouTube page with, with my name as well, K. Trevor Thompson. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Trevor. It was a pleasure chatting with you. And I learned a lot. I know my audience will get a ton of value. So thanks for your time. That was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And thanks guys for tuning in today to the Real Estate Monopoly. Follow us on uh, Instagram or any other social media platform at Donis Brothers. You can check us out on pretty much any podcast streaming platform uh, at Real Estate Monopoly on Apple, Spotify, and all your other platforms. And guys, let's get out there and take action. Have a great rest of your day.